Welcome. It's raining here. I was going to say sunny Florida, but you know, we're wanting for the sun right now. Let's just say that very special show for you today. Very special guest. I'm going to intro the guest, tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about. And then I have a very special sponsor um, who sponsored the show today who I adore and who has helped my health extraordinarily. So I want to share that with you as well. So first of all, today, we have Sartorial Shooter. Very special guest who's going to be sharing updates on the Tate brothers. You know that they're under house arrest right now. I want to talk a little bit about what that means. We're going to talk about Andrew Tate's message directly to fans. We're going to talk about the tenets of Tate. We're going to talk about the Matrix. Did the Matrix target the Tate brothers? If so, how and why? And we're going to dig into, I want to ask Sartorial as well about the West and cultural decay. What's going on in the West? Is there a better place to kind of set up camp? What's going on? What are the differences between here? I believe he lives in Dubai. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. But the tenets of Tate will be a focus because Andrew Tate is someone who's been completely misrepresented, in my view, by mainstream media, by media at large, and frankly, by new media with all of these clips, a doctored, you know, take an hour interview and fuse a minute here and a minute there. And suddenly you see a guy who's not really the guy behind the scenes at all. So I want to get to the heart of the matter. I don't know Andrew personally, Sartorial does, and I want to get to who Andrew Tate really is and what's he going to be doing next? What are his next moves? All right. Before we bring Sartorial on, today's show is brought to you by Nativim. Nativim is a very special, very unique, incredibly effective supplement I told you I was going to help you stay healthy, get healthy, protect you from the matrix. Nativim is something I take two capsules every single morning. It's a substance called NAD. Have you ever heard of NAD? Joe Rogan does those NAD IVs. Celebrities are always rushing in to do those NAD IVs. NAD is a powerhouse for your brain. It's a powerhouse for memory, for focus, for concentration. It's a a molecule that you need to do anything your body relies on it to produce energy um, and to do all things powerful and good, (laughs) including the ability to do a show like this. As you age, you have less and less and less NAD. If you go through a toxic exposure, a chemical exposure, a mold exposure, you get an autoimmune disease, whatever it may be, your NAD oftentimes gets compromised. So enter Nativim. Now, this comes out of the NYCIM, an incredible center I'm visiting in two months out in Huntington, New York, run by Dr. Thomas Schultz, who is brilliant and wonderful at getting to the bottom and the root cause of illness. And what they found is that the IVs in their clinic were very successful, but as we all know, it can get expensive and maybe you don't want to be sitting in a clinic getting an IV in your arm all the time. So they created these capsules. I actually don't have it with me today because I took it this morning. I took them and I left them on my kitchen counter. They even come in a glass bottle, which I I love, by the way, no nasty leaching of chemicals. They thoroughly test everything so you know you're not getting any heavy metals, you're not getting your product compromised at all. Just pure, efficient brain food is what I like to call it. It has cat's claw, bacopa, CoQ10, glycine to increase absorption. And I will tell you, I suffered from a mold exposure recently and it kind of knocked me out a little bit. I had the brain fog, I called them up, I started taking this stuff even more aggressively than I had been before. No breaks, two every single day and it really has made such an extraordinary difference. If I had to go to a desert island, and I only got one supplement, I tell you all the time, this would be it, Nativim. Today, 20% off your, 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 actually, you don't need a subscription, 20% off your purchase, 
20% off your purchase if you go to, uh, you're going to use code Jedediah at checkout. You're going to go in the description. Go down to my description. You can click on it. Head right on over. It takes you to nanofim.com backslash Jedediah, and you're going to get 20% off. There is no harm in trying. I actually just got some from my mom. She's very excited. Um, if you want to increase the power of your brain, your focus, your concentration, this is essential. Nativim, I fully endorse it. I use it. I love it. And I love NYCIM. You should check them out. They are a powerhouse for your health. All right. Back to the show. Sartorial, welcome. Thank you so much. Please feel free to use the name Jewel. I've been doxxed and, and Jewel, okay. So I, I was I, I, I wanted you to say it because I know how this business works sometimes. So now that you've said it, Jewel, welcome to the show. It's been a pleasure to have you here um, already. I know a lot about you. I've been following your work um, and I've been eager to get you on for some time. We haven't met in person, but I'm, I'm really interested in hearing your perception on Andrew Tate, on the Tate brothers and on what's gone down here. So first and foremost, I would just love for you to share in your own words with what you're comfortable sharing. What do you do? Who are you? And how well do you know Andrew Tate and Tristan Tate? All right. Sounds good. First of all, those supplements, I think genuinely I'm going to have to order them. That you was, should. Was, yeah. You should. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll make sure to get that, uh, that discount code. And get your 20%. Jewel, get your 20%. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I'll take every percentage point I can get. There so you go. Yeah, my name is Jewel. I'm a security professional who's been based in the Middle East and Africa for the past 15 years. I started my career in the Australian Army, uh, learned a few languages, traveled around the world, and ended up in the Middle East. Uh, so a lot of time in Iran, a lot of time in Syria, uh, Iraq, Saudi, you know, the usual places. Mm-hmm. And I've been settled in Dubai for about the past five, six years. And I'd love to talk about Dubai and why I think it's a superior choice to, than the declining West. But my relationship to the Tates and indeed the reason why I'm even public, obviously people in my line of work, it's not beneficial to be, you know, have people coming up on the street. And while it's lovely that they say positive things, hey, you've inspired me or you and the Tate brothers have helped change my life, it's still a bit strange. I've spent a long time trying to avoid the cameras. <laughs> and of course, you know, I have a bit of fun on Instagram showing off the lifestyle to try and encourage others to go and create their custom-made reality as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I recently went quite loud simply because of the fact that, as you referred to earlier, the Tate brothers, their message has been distorted so clearly. A lot of false allegations, a lot of easily refuted lies have been spread. And so as their brother, you know, with the code of brotherhood that we live by, I had to come out and speak. And so I will take the, I've, ta- I've had personal hits, professional hits, whatever consequences, I, I really don't mind. At the end of the day, if you can't rely on your brothers to stand up in times like this, then they're not, they're not really your brothers, right? So that's why I'm sitting here today. I've had the pleasure of, of being very close with the Tates for about five years. Uh, you know, the brother from another mother term is, is, is very real with what we share, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and also to give some context, I'm not, an, as I often say, I'm not an objective source from the Tates. You know, obviously, I'm very pro-team Tate. They are my brothers. I consider them family. But I am a credible source. I've held very senior corporate roles in the past. Uh, I, I have a number of very important clients who I represent with discretion and professionalism. Indeed, back in the day, I held very high top-secret clearances. I've been professionally trained in assessing people. I'm I'm an investigator by trade, have been for well over a decade. The idea that somehow Tate's could be some sort of monster and I wouldn't notice. You know, I have have kids. I'm I'm a very caring father. I have very positive relationships in my life. They've lived in my house. I've lived in their house. I've been in the jets. I've been on the yachts. There is no way that these men are in any way capable of the allegations that have been you know, thrown at them. I know them as well as anyone on this planet. Again, I'm not objective, but I am credible. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm here to put that message out as a credible source to say, hang on, all these journalists, all these Twitter experts who think they know the Tates, I'm sorry, you don't. And secondly, a lot of you aren't even credible as investigators. What journalists are doing nowadays and putting forward as, as journalism is absolutely shocking. I'd love to talk to that if we can. 
So yeah, I'm here out of my responsibility for my brothers to represent them in a credible way because I know them better than anyone on this planet. I've spent more time with anyone with them than anyone outside their family over the last five years. And so it's my duty to to speak the actual truth about them and their message. Yeah, I love what you said about journalism. Um, I've often said that journalism is dead and has been dead for a very long time. It was interesting when I, you know, and like I said, I don't know the Tates personally. Um, so I really didn't have a dog on this fight. I was just looking at a case that looked like it was deeply corrupt, what was unfolding. And I said, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't what I've seen. I know how media plays its games. I've been in, you know, I've worked in network television, hosted television there, cable news. I know the games that media plays. And I saw every article from the mainstream media, typically from the AP pool, which is just a, uh, disseminates information and everybody just regurg- swallows it, regurgitates it. Everything said that mm-hmm. Andrew Tate was a self-described misogynist. And I said, well, that's really interesting. I have never heard the man call himself a misogynist. In fact, I've heard the complete opposite of that. So that's when I started to look into who he actually was. And the reason I'm interested in having you on here is because all of these media outlets claim to know him and they've not spent a single second with him. They also claim to be objective and they're not. You're at least coming out and saying, listen, I know these guys. You know, I'm not objective because I am a supporter, but I'm going to tell you my personal experience of having spent time with them and who I know behind the cameras and behind the scenes. So I appreciate that. And that's what I'm here to get to the bottom of. So I want to ask you, first off, um, we know that people have been kind of inaccurately reporting on this from from the start, to be honest. But now you hear a lot of people saying, oh, the Tates are free. The Tates are free. And they're not actually free right now. They're under house arrest. They've been shifted over to house arrest, which I think has been a huge plus. Um, but what does that mean for them right now? Can you shed any light on what does that mean? Can they see family? Can they see someone like you? Can they see friends? Do they have access to media? Is that Andrew and Tristan, is that them tweeting that we see on Twitter? How much can you share about that? Yeah, certainly. So I'm, I'm anything but a, a legal professional. I'm not, not a lawyer. I'm a former soldier. So I'm not going to try and um, be too specific in terms of legalities. And again, I'm not actually like I'm not representing them formally. I'm not part of their PR team, which they have. I'm not part of their legal team. Correct. But I can speak to I mean, I'm talking to the, the brothers every day. I can speak to what they've told me. So they are allowed guests. They are allowed electronic devices. Uh, but they're not allowed to leave the the, the house. That okay. is what I understand. Yes, it is them on their their Twitter accounts. It has been the whole time. They were actually communicating their tweets to the men or the lawyers who were able to meet them, and then mm-hmm. the, that was being put up on their on their account. So it is them and has been them, you know, on Twitter for for the duration. Um, but as as things stand, they still haven't been charged formally. Uh, and as I understand it, the continuation of this being held preventatively, the preventive detention can continue for another three months. At that point, as I understand it, again, as a, a non-legal professional, then the the, um, the concerned authorities have to either charge them or release them. So this seems very odd to me, not to get into any of the, I, I know, and I recognize, I appreciate you clarifying. We know you're not a lawyer. Um, we know you're not here to, you know, provide, you know, any sort of legal specificity to what's going on, but, and not, nor am I, but I don't think you need to be a lawyer to be looking at this case and saying, well, if they've been digging into these guys for, I don't know how many months, I mean, what is it like 12 months now looking at all their devices, right. looking it at has, everything. The investigation has been open for 12 months. That's correct. That's yeah. right. So at this point, if they haven't charged them with anything, it does seem a bit bizarre. I mean, why not? You know, if you found nothing as of yet, I'm curious what they think they're going to find in the next three months. It just seems to be moving in a direction to me that these guys are going to get set free. I mean, that they just haven't found anything. If they found it, they would have charged them. It just That's just legally what makes sense to an outsider. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think from a logical perspective, that that's definitely uh, accurate. But also from a logical perspective, why would men who drive Bugattis and fly on private jets need to somehow deprave an individual of their liberty and exploit them for very low amounts of money? They don't have the time, nor the care factor, nor the the motivation to do such things. So yes, I believe it's fair to say that that's you know the current state of play is rather illogical. But then the allegations themselves are completely illogical as well. That's right. So we- there's a lot. There's a lot of and. One thing that is important to say, Andrew doesn't hold any, he said it publicly and he, he means it. Um, in our conversations, he's verified that. He doesn't hold any anger or any ill will against any of the parties involved, mm-hmm. not even those making the allegations. He understands that we live in a world where certain types of people will make certain types of allegations against people with money and status to try and get a piece of that money and status. He understands that authorities, when they receive certain types of complaints, you know, it's their responsibility to look into them. So Andrew's whole thing at the moment is, this whole thing is, I mean, obviously it's incorrect. Anyone who knows Andrew has been around Andrew and Tristan knows that it's absolute nonsense. His main focus is, is clearing his name and then getting back to, you know, having a very positive impact and putting out his positive message to the world. So the point I'm trying to make here is there is no ill will from Andrew as to what's happening. Yes, yep. it is deeply unjust. I mean, I don't know how I'd respond to three months in prison <laughs> and remain in prison. It's not exactly five star, right? So <laughs> right, it's I'm not. I'm not sure how I'd... I'd cope. But he's stayed stoic and he doesn't uh-huh. have any ill will against anyone. He just wants to get this behind him and continue with the work of, of being a positive, motivating force for traditional values and, and for, yep. for self-accountability and all the positive things that he preaches. I appreciate that. I know how I'd react, to, to be honest, Joel. I'd be crying a lot. I would be a basket case. I'd be like woman on the verge when I came out. I would not be as calm and composed as the interested were when they emerged from that jail cell. And I want to talk about that because that was really interesting to me. One of the first, and frankly, I was a little surprised that they even moved him to house arrest, moved them to house arrest, I should say, because I felt like they were just going to drag this on and on and on to the last second. Um, and, and by the way, as an aside, I did cover the case and there were enormous holes that we were poking in the stories of these girls. I mean, it was kind of outrageous, particularly how the Vice documentary portrayed it. It was just not only erroneous, there was so much deceit in there. There was so much media manipulation. So I covered that as well. And Andrew may not be you know, irritated by it, but I certainly was as someone who comes from media and just sees these media games over and over and over again and sees an unjust legal process. As, as In my view, this the way this has all unfolded, there's just been a deep level of corruption here that I'm trying to get to the bottom of. But um, I appreciate Andrew's approach to life. And when you saw those two guys emerge from jail and you saw that first footage of them, I was blown away. I could not believe the level of, particularly with Andrew, I will say, because the camera's kind of focused on him. Although Tristan does have that same level of, of just control. They looked calm. They looked collected. They looked composed. They weren't frazzled at all. I mean, they looked like they were okay. Like, hey, this is okay. And they didn't appear traumatized in any way. And this is the process. And they seemed very connected. Andrew in particular, very connected to God and was talking about the Quran. But my takeaway from that was like, wow, these guys are built for war. I mean, I don't know a lot of people that you could put in a predicament like that who would walk out with that level of composure. Can you just speak a little bit to that? Because that tells me a lot about the real Andrew Tate and tells me that what he is encouraging men to do in life when he talks about stoicism and control and strength of character, he's actually living it. It's not phony. It's not fake. Can you speak to that for a moment, please? Yeah, he's definitely walking the walk there. That's where you see real 
uh, masculine leadership in a way. One of his tenets is, is talking about stoicism and emotional control, and you can see him very much embodying that. When they're in prison, and, and let's be real, these guys have had a pretty hard upbringing. Luton, uh, Chicago, these are not you know, comfortable places to grow up. They're both professional fighters, you know, they were hungry at one point while fighting. They've lived pretty rough. For them, this was a challenge, but it definitely wasn't the hardest thing they've been through. And also, throughout their time in prison, again, they continued to walk the walk. They were doing their push-ups. So, you know, Andrew was studying his faith. They were, they were keeping themselves disciplined and on task. So, yeah, I think for, for, for you know, the average guy, it would have absolutely broken him. But these guys have what they call the iron mind. It's a mix of stoicism, of daily urge for just constant conquest, for pursuing masculine excellence in all areas of life. And they just applied it to this situation. I remember I was with Andrew when the full cancellation kicked off. So within about 24, 48 hours, there was a coordinated uh, series of, of media hit pieces across all of the different big uh, media houses, all saying the same thing. It was like cut and paste. It was amazing to see the way they co coordinated the release. He lost banks, payment processes, his Instagram with over 4 million uh, followers. He, he lost uh, e email servers, website servers, everything just dumped. Not once did I see him show any emotion or stress. His entire infrastructure that he built up over years was decimated within a day and he didn't mind <laughs> i saw this all i was like okay this guy really is built different they really are uh they embody that iron mind that stoicism that preparedness to just take whatever comes and remain totally resilient and totally on on track and focused and that's why they're such positive role models for, for you know the men of today they embody that yeah men need to see that men need to see mm. that and i think it was an extraordinary lesson you know here's a guy who's been through a lot just, you know, had that experience that you just, you know, discussed in detail, they walk out of jail, and they're still looking together. That was a message to everyone out there, in my view, all guys out there that have been through struggle, who have had financial hardships, who've been wrongly, you know, accused of something, whatever it may be, you can mm. overcome, you know, and it's not easy to do. Believe me, I wish I know I'm not a guy. I know I strongly believe women and men are built differently, are wired differently. Man, if I could just pull a little well, bit of that. We might get canceled if you say these things. Careful. I know. Well, that's OK. You know what? They've Jules, they've come for me in the past and okay. they will come for me again. It's fine. But um, I wish I could just grab an inch of that because I think it's so valuable for people to be able to have some sense of resilience. All of those things that you just described, though, are the reasons that the the system, which is, in my view, largely very evil, very sinister, they can't mm -hmm. stand him because he looks unbreakable to them. And they like people that they can scare, that they can intimidate, that they can, you know, weaponize different media factions against and they can hush up. And here was a guy that was like, OK, you know what, I'm going to problem solve my way out of this box that you think you just put me in. And that's terrifying to the matrix, the system at large. So I think he... I think he scares a lot of people, and we'll talk about um, maybe that being one of the reasons why he was targeted to begin with. Does Andrew, and, and I want to—I don't want to ignore Tristan here. Um, that happens sometimes, and there are two men in their own right. It was really interesting to see Tristan actually shine in that um, documentary, that Vice documentary, in those moments when he was like, I don't trust this guy. I loved seeing that. That was a, a, a component of his personality I had not seen before personally. And I, I really like love that moment from him. So this is not to oh, in any very, way. That's very Tristan. That's very I Tristan. love it. Yeah. And it's very important, actually. That that was like a key yeah, moment where yeah. I was like, this guy's antennas are up. I love that. But, you know. A lot of the focus is from the media on Andrew. So I'm going to I'm going to shift and focus on him a bit, um, not to disregard Tristan in any way. But is Andrew aware of the level of support 
that he had coming in from people. I saw such an outpouring of people just, you know, trying to get legitimate facts out there, trying to use even if they had a small microphone, trying to write up something, use social media, do whatever they could. Is he aware of that? Yeah, definitely. And one of the things he was briefed on clearly when he got out, because when he was inside, he had very limited uh, communications. When he got out, he was briefed very clearly on all those parties who had supported him and all of those, you know, previous supporters who'd gone silent. And and he was grateful for all of those people who, who stood up and made noise. And I think the fact is, if you're a, a rationally thinking individual, and, and you're able to apply logic, which of course, it seems, you know, mainstream media isn't, and if you look at Tate's long form videos and you see that 99% of what he says has nothing to do with women or misogyny or any of these claims, it's about making men better men and therefore societies better societies, it's almost inevitable that you come to the conclusion that, hang on, this Tate chap has value to add. He is a masculine hero in an era where there aren't many masculine heroes. You know, what are the masculine role models that we have out there really calling young men and, and men in general to be better and, and saying to, to the women out there, if you want to embrace traditional values, then that's fine. There's no shame in doing so. It's very rare to have someone speaking so articulately and so directly against, you know, this narrative of trying to turn people into sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the, the end state is the vast majority of people who look into tape properly, they realize, hang on, this guy's, this guy's a treasure. We need to, we need to support him. We need to protect him. We need to continue having him offsetting all of these, these degenerate messages that we see absolutely ruining Western society. And to your point about it being evil, uh, as a recent revert into Islam, I genuinely believe that what we see in in the West, this this wokeism, is the work of shaitan, it's the work of the devil. When When you, I mean, I don't want to get too political here, but when you see a society normalizing, exposing children to things of a sexual nature, when you see a society normalizing unalterable you know, medical procedures on children that inf- influence them for the rest of their lives, you know, impacting their, 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 their sexual parts. How is that not evil? How is that not the work of the devil? I, I genuinely believe that the West is, is being impacted heavily by evil in terms of this, this wokeism religion. And the, the flip side of that is people like Andrew, who speak up directly against that sort of thing, have a very important role to play in protecting humanity from all this woke degenerate nonsense that we see being pushed on just about every information channel that exists. Well, and that's why that's why he's a problem, though, for them, right? Because yeah. he's willing to speak out. And we can look at this and say, you know, you started and you were saying, well, very little of what he was talking about was about these, you know, dating and relationship, these little sound bites that they would pull. And he was really talking about empowering men and building, you know, a strong society of protectors and defenders. Yeah, that sounds great to us, right? Because we're we're not sinister and we're not dark and we're not trying to destroy society at large. But that message that we view as positive is the problem because the system, the matrix, the powers that be, the three-letter organizations we talk about, the WEF, all that, the WHO, these institutions cannot do what they want. They cannot control the masses unless they sweep aside these strong men and they say they weaken them. They make them scared, they make them compliant, and then the takeover happens. So individuals like an Andrew Tate and individuals who are inspired by an Andrew Tate to become a version of strong masculinity, be proud of their masculinity, be fit, be in shape, those people are terrifying to the system. So I think that I think that Andrew is unique, and I do believe he was targeted. Um, what's unique to me about him is that he simultaneously is some he's someone who can talk about men and women are different, can talk about 
male and female dynamics. He's not afraid to go into that turf, which by the way is, you know, they consider sacred turf now, because when you talk about that, you have to get into the gender dynamics. You have to have those difficult conversations that the media doesn't want you to have. But he's also somebody that will take on the COVID agenda and will take on the climate agenda. He had that interaction with Greta Thunberg. So, and he's smart, you know, he's smart as a whip. He's very um, able to represent his viewpoint in a way that has has a large convincing power. So that is incredibly unique. And there's not a lot of people, by the way, and I've been in this space talking to a lot of the red pill and the manosphere. It's not a lot of people who can dip into both worlds so efficiently. So I ask you, do you believe that he and Tristan were targeted by the Matrix? And if so, what was it about them, do you think? Was it, what what message in particular really got under their skin? Okay, interesting. So I'm going to say something that I think a lot of people disagree with. I, I don't think there is one cohesive matrix out there. I think there's many different types of matrices, different entities that wield certain types of control and have different agendas, often competing agendas. Now, do, for example, politicians in the West wish Andrew would shut up? Obviously, they're mm-hmm. spending billions of dollars in, in the schools, which are obviously the battleground for ideology, what, what you convince the youth of, you know, what you implant in the head, they'll grow up and they'll, you know, become the country. So we see... In the UK, as an example, they're spending a lot of money and a lot of effort trying to program away from Tate's message. So definitely, I think the intent is of, of governments and of you know the matrix in that sense. They love Andrew to shut up. Did that translate to some sort of coordinated operation to have him arrested in Romania? The reality is you'll never know with certainty. I, I personally don't believe that to be true. I, I think there was lies made by you know specifically two individuals and, and local government authorities looked into those lines and the, the whole thing is a massive injustice and truth will win. I don't necessarily think that the, the forces in the West, you know, the liberal media houses or, or the governments of the West who, who want their people to be sheep, I don't think they necessarily, you know, put together some sort of clandestine operation to, mm-hmm. to have Tate locked up or, or any of the sort of back channels that exist. Yeah. I just think this was, definitely there's intent to shut him up, but I think this was a domestic issue and uh, you know, people, certain types of people will make false allegations mm-hmm. and there are implications from that. Men's lives can be ruined. Thankfully, the Tates are innocent and know what they have and haven't done. So they've remained level headed. Thankfully, they have the means to respond. It's not it's not cheap, as I understand it, to respond to such uh, false allegations. So the, the Tate brothers will be fine. They'll come out of this even more positively impactful. Uh, but I think this is simply a case of domestically, uh, it's the age old story. Some people have money and status and clout and all these things. And some people want to get a piece of that. Mm -hmm. And they lack ethics, and they'll do whatever they can to accuse the people with the money and status to try and get a piece of that. That's that's my personal uh, view on these things. Yeah. And you know, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you said. I think this probably was largely a local political issue. And we dug into a little bit of the local politics um, in Romania and who could stand to win or lose by virtue of them being, you know, brought into jail and all that. We dug into that already. I'm not going to rehash that. But I also do believe that that um, interaction that happened with Greta Thunberg, I think it made Mm -hmm. all of the, the sinister people at the top of this this matrix pyramid and i do believe that there is an umbrella here so there are different factions 100 percent. you have you know components of the u.s government you have components of foreign governments you have large three-letter organizations there's there's multiple entities that make up the matrix but i think that a lot of people that were sitting at the top of those pyramids 
saw an opportunity. So it would not surprise me one bit, and I obviously can't attest to this 100%, but it would not surprise me one bit if there were some phone calls made or something's happened behind the scenes where there were some conversations that maybe didn't cause an arrest, but certainly didn't assist in things being handled properly because we know they are American citizens. And I kept saying, what is going on here? What? Why are they still in jail? At one point, there wasn't proper access to their American attorneys. There were just things that went on where I would come on air and feel very comfortable and still do saying, the American government is not rushing to help this guy. They're not. Mm -hmm. And if he were a different That's guy true. with a different message, if he were woke or if he were, you know, some outspoken, you know, had a big sign that said, you know, everyone is trans and a big, you know, BLM sticker on and had all the all the woke pins and, you know, was waving, you know, Joe Biden's reelection is essential. I, I, I just have a feeling things may have gone down a little bit differently in terms of willingness of the U.S. government to intervene when it was very clear that something was going on that wasn't wasn't kosher, shall we say. So that's where I stand on that. Um, I want to talk yeah, about- I, the I, don't see any, I don't see any fault in that logic at all, to be yeah. honest. I think it's very sound. I want to get to the real Andrew Tate a little bit here. One thing before we do that, you mentioned the schools. And that's really interesting to me because when this whole story emerged, what you saw, and we covered some of it, were we saw article after article about schools that were- combating the Andrew Tate message, you know, and we're gathering their students and mobilizing programs inside, you know, UK schools, all schools everywhere, really, to say, like, this guy is a misogynist, and we need to teach young boys in particular, how not to be like him. As someone who knows the Tates, and who has children who I'm guessing have spent time around the Tates, can you please comment on that? That's correct. Yes, indeed. So it's a very interesting one. I think First of all, it's incredibly patronizing to think that the, the young men who consume Tate content are unable to tell when he's playing a character. Now, okay, you could say, and of course it's impossible to quantify, you could say some of Tate's content, if viewed in the short form, could be taken out of context and could lead to poor behavior, sure. Uh, however, to every one individual where that might have happened, there's likely thousands who've gotten messages from Tate and gone on to make positive behavioral changes and become better individuals. Now, Tate is very aware of his global influence now. He's also very aware of this propensity for the world to cut things up and push out you know, that, that which is uh, edgy or might get a reaction. So you, you can actually see now, if you, if you want to see you know, the current Tate, on Rumble, he has his final message. So if you, if you search Rumble, Tate's final message, that's where you see a very grounded, very calm non-verbose, you know, not playing that that bad guy shock rapper sort of tactic, uh, which which worked. He became, you know, the most Googled man in the world at one point <laughs> using these this this character um, to, to play up, a, you know, a, a figure. Uh, if you go and you actually watch his long-form content uh, and you, you dig into what he's about, uh, it's impossible not to see that it's incredibly overwhelmingly positive. And the young men who are consuming his content tend to do it long-form. This is the thing. Mm -hmm. The haters will view the short form stuff and say, oh, what a dangerous message. The supporters, yeah, the haters will watch the short, short form. The supporters will watch the long form in which everything's pretty much positive. And so this idea that young men in today in schools drastically need to be reprogrammed so that they don't view the Tate message as positive, the people pushing that haven't watched long form Tate content. Mm -hmm. They haven't read the tenets of Tate. They haven't watched that final uh, message on Rumble where you see Tate saying things like, 
all right, when I had 10,000 followers on, on YouTube, I did make a bit of noise and, you know, I got a bit loose and I said, said some crazy things to get attention. He has mastered the attention economy. He knows how to bring in attention and monetize it. But you see Tate in that final, final message say, I'm cognizant of the fact that I now have a very big platform. I'm also cognizant of the fact that the things that I say can be cut up and presented, you know, in a way that isn't the, my intent in delivering them. So I'm a lot more careful of what I say. You know, a lot of this hate towards Tate is bringing up stuff from, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago mm -hmm. and saying, oh, look what he's doing. Again, that was when he had 10,000 people listening. Now that he has millions, he's a lot more selective with what he says. And again, anyone who takes the time to look into Tate, read the tenets of Tate to see what he stands for, watch his long-form content, they'll actually see, hang on, this guy is an overwhelmingly positive, uh, you know, message in terms of what he's putting forward for young men today. And in a world where all of these feminists and haters or you know, a lot of women in the West are saying, where have all the good men gone? What Tate pushes, self-accountability, you know, working hard, discipline, saying no to hedonism and pursuing excellence in everything that you do, providing for your family, for your, your loved ones, being that traditional man, patriarch who looks after his people. This is what the world needs. So the fact that all these people think he's somehow some evil guy, they haven't watched the long-form content. They don't actually understand what Tate's about. And this is another point. Everyone in Tate's inner circle came out real fast, real fast, everyone, JW, Sterling, myself. Uh, we all came out. Okay, I was a bit slow to come out because I was still a bit of a individual <laughs> that but, but I did come out um, and then got doxxed and went through all sorts of fun stuff. But we all came out and said, hang on, we know the real Andrew. The real Andrew is super respectful. He, I've never even seen him be impolite to a waiter, you know, uh, the, the, the guy who's cleaning the cars. Like, it doesn't matter the social pyramid, you know, he or the, the level of, of, you know, status that someone has. He's polite and respectful to any everyone. I've never once in five years seen him act in a disrespectful way towards anyone, man or woman. That is the real Tate. He practices what he preaches in his long-form content and, and, and in the tenets of Tate. Incredibly principled, incredibly ethical. He's got a big heart. He, he's actually a very empathetic person. He really looks after his people. So everything about Tate, and, and I'm quite passionate about this, hence the sort of long-form ramble that I'm on here, everything about the real Tate is incredibly positive, and it's messages that the youth of today, the men of today need. There are no masculine role models telling them to be good men that they listen to anyway, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> they can do it in a way with, with fancy lifestyle content so people actually want to hear it. He, he's this, I genuinely believe the positive parts of the Tate message are what the youth need, not not to be programmed away from. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, young men, young men desperately need, desperately need a, a strong message. They need to hear that their masculinity isn't toxic. They need to hear that they should provide and protect for their families. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I know women have been brainwashed by modern feminism in many respects, mm -hmm. but ultimately women will, you know, I always say they may have their, you know, feminized, weak guy, boyfriend for the moment. But when real stuff hits the fan, when they're really looking to settle down, when danger comes, they're running for the Andrew Tates, right? They're running for those guys that they know are going to protect them because that feminized guy, you know, with the pink nail polish and the, you know, women rock t-shirt on, they're going to throw that woman in front of them and use her as a shield when danger hits. Oh, for sure. So for I sure, think, sure. I think, you know, People are brainwashed to an extent, but deep down inside, they really do know because you see a very different reaction from women when they know they're in danger. And you see, it's very interesting to watch the, the men that they want to be around at times like that versus in times of privilege when they can just, you know, run their mouths, say whatever they say, regurgitate talking points. But, you know, they feel on top of the world no matter what. So that's interesting. I want to ask you, though, about one thing that has changed. And I think I think we've seen a Tate that has grown, has evolved I think there's oh, a big difference between 
coming on the scene and and talking to you know ten thousand people and where he is now and you know if he's a human being he's going to learn from there's everyone's going to make mistakes everyone's going to wish they had done things a little bit differently one thing that has changed in my view is that he now is religious and he's mm-hmm. deeply religious it seems to me he you know quotes the quran he seems to have found a deep connection to god that seems to have brought a humility to his presence that, and I think it brings a humility to all of us to an extent to acknowledge that there's something so much bigger and stronger than you out there. How authentic is that? And I ask that because the challenge is, oh, people say that's not, you know, that's just an act. Um, It doesn't Mm -hmm. seem that way to me. So talk about that Andrew Tate and what maybe people can anticipate seeing from a guy who has this newfound, somewhat newfound deep connection to religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic question. Um, so first of all, a lot of people don't realize Tate's always been a searcher of truth. Ever since I, I've known him for five years, religion has been a talking point. The nature of the universe has been a talking point. The fact that evil exists and it has to be offset in some way has been a talking point. So he's examined pretty much every religion that's out there. And people saying, oh, he just converted as if it was some new thing. I first hosted him in Dubai in 2019, and he met a number of you know significant and very devout uh, Muslim figures in this part of the world. And even since then, so what, what are we, four years, he and I were having very strong discussions and he was having discussions with other uh, Muslims about, about the faith. So his decision to revert was not in any way a quick one. He's, he's been around you know, strong Muslims for a long time. He's been considering it for a long time. So his faith is 100% genuine. We stopped drinking completely, which I'm very happy about. Uh, his brother Tristan uh, is an Olympic gold medalist when it comes to tolerating alcohol, which is hard work for everybody else. <laughs> we're all very competitive guys. So I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm super grateful that we're not drinking anymore I and mean, we won't yeah. be going forward. I, I now have a good reason not to drink as well. So sorry, Tristan, it's not happening. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's 100% devout. Uh, I, I was, I was hoping that he was relying on his faith when he was in prison. And I got a message back from the guy who talked to him when I said, you know, is, is, Andrew reading the Quran. A few weeks later, I got a message back. Andrew said, I'm not just reading the Quran, I'm studying it. I'm studying every day. So it definitely was a very, um, it was a pillar of strength for him in a very difficult time. But also, even if he wasn't in such a situation, I think he was always going to end up in with Islam. You know, he, he's a very strong, he has a very curious and, and very powerful intellect that was yeah. always trying to find what's the best way to live. And if you want a connection with God, what, what, what's, what religion will give you that most powerful connection and the most, I mean, humans all need dogma, right? We need mm-hmm. guidance. We're either going to get it from a religion or we're going to get it from the TV. Or we're going to get it from the government, or from culture. That's right. And uh, nowadays, they're all pretty disgusting places to get guidance from if it's not a religion. Mm-hmm. And so he was always going to end up becoming, you know, devoutly religious, I believe, because he's so cognizant of the fact that evil exists in yeah. this world. And for me, Islam was always going to be the, the path that he chose simply because it is the religion that adheres to traditional values. It, it is a very strong religion. It's a very comprehensive religion. It's, it's a religion that is not afraid to, to stand up for what it believes in. And that's what Tate's about, right? Tate is that guy. So, and Islam is that religion. No, this is what we believe and we are sticking to it, whether it's you know now or a thousand years from now, Muslims will still be practicing their faith in the same way. You know, that, that's what Islam is. And, and Tate resonates with that very strongly. I actually asked him when he converted, because. I, I didn't know he was going to convert or revert, as, as we say. I said to him, mate, you know, what was the final turning point? And he said, well, first of all, there's no downsides. It's only positives. And I, I've, I, I can definitely attest to that. You know, Islam is a very positive way to approach uh, the, the human experience. And it, it demands that you become the best version of yourself, a lot like Tate's mm-hmm. philosophy in life. But he also said, when I looked at all these other religions and the way they are allowing things that 100 years ago they would have said is 
completely not okay to then become okay he said islam is the only religion that's left you know that that was you know words to that effect and so i wasn't surprised at all and you you'll see anyone who doubts his faith firstly if they're muslim that's haram it shouldn't be shouldn't be done but you'll see over over the next you know when he's out and he gets back on you know loud media wise his faith, he takes it so seriously and he's so in touch with that. And I've seen a different take. He's more calm now as a result. Uh, anyone who doubts his faith will see over time how sincere he is and how serious he is. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it'll bring a lot of positivity to his life. And I also believe that he will bring a lot of positive attention to the importance of faith. And I think, you know, that's what a lot of people in the world now need. I think a lot of the Tate haters, they're living in a godless society and they have a godless existence. They need faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's very positive what, what Tate is representing as he becomes more and more uh, in, in tune with, with his chosen faith, that of Islam. I want to get to some, he has 41 tenets of Tate, so we won't be able to do every one, but I want to get to some of those in a moment. But um, I want to ask you, just as someone who spent a lot of time with him personally, what have you learned from Andrew Tate? Is there something that you've, you know, changed about your life for the better? Or what, what is the, if there's one, one thing that pops out for you, what would that be? I'll try to be concise here, but there's a lot, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to drag things on, but um, I've completely rewritten my, my approach to life due to Tate, my daily routine. Um, I've become more stoic myself. I have brotherhood, thanks to his organization, The War Room. We have thousands of men around the world, all pushing and, and encouraging each other to attain that masculine excellence in all areas. But I mean, a bit of an insight to Tate how and how he lives. Tate's one thing is conquest. Tate doesn't eat during the day because he likes it when he's hungry, because that's when his mind is clearer. He wakes up angry and he will not eat until five, six, seven, until he's you know, put in a certain amount of training in the gym or he's made a certain amount of money or he's set up a new business initiative or he's, he's learned a certain skill. He is so driven for conquest daily. This man doesn't have days off. He doesn't sit and watch TV. And if he does, he's on his phone anyway. Every waking hour... He's focused on conquest. And so what I learned from Tate is people aren't really trying. Like everyone's, and this is you know directly what Tate taught me, everyone's in love with the idea of being successful, mm-hmm. but no one really loves the reality of being successful. Because again, if you've got time for watching football or playing video games or, or you know regular sleeping patterns, then you're not working as hard as you could be. And when you see someone operating at Tate's level of output, that high frequency living where every waking moment is spent on conquest, on bettering himself and looking after his people as well as he can, you realize, hang on, well, I'm not trying. It's almost like you see what's possible in terms of your output as a human. So I am working so much more effectively. I'm putting in so much more uh, concentrated hours every day. I don't get tired anymore. I don't get stressed. By being around the Tate so much, I've learned to up my frequency as a man, my stress tolerance, and just that constant output and focus on on conquest every day. I haven't had a day off or a weekend in as many months as I can remember. And I, I learned that from Tate, how to really optimize yourself as a person and just conquer every single day with this undying energy. And of course, the Brotherhood in the War Room, the organization that he set up, it helps you sustain that as well as, as a very powerful value add as well. So that's just one example. And, and there are many. I've learned Tate's been the single most impactful man I've ever met in terms of what I've learned and then gone on to implement in my life. That's so fascinating. And while you're talking, you know, I do a lot of my show around these differences between men and women. And while I'm listening to you, it's just so abundantly clear. And I think there are a lot of men that could, you know, 
aspire to what you're saying and could be feel really healthy and robust and alive doing that. I'm listening. I'm exhausted just listening to you guys. I'm going to be honest with you. Five by by five o'clock. Sometimes my husband will do that, and he he knows that Tate does that. And he gets the newsletter and all that, but sometimes he'll do intermittent fasting, and he, you know, he's busy. He's getting stuff done, and he doesn't eat till like five or six p.m. I've eaten three meals already. I've stretched. I'm like I'm ex- I'm exhausted just watching you guys do what you do. But that's why you're so important because I think we are wired differently. And I don't think you can build a successful, strong society without men that are able to thrive doing what you're doing. That That's not how most women thrive. You know, I, 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 I certainly it. don't. Um, and, and it's viewed as, you know, the, the problem is, is that women internalize that in modern society and view it as, oh, we're weak or we're this. No, you're not weak. You're different. You're different, you know, your strength comes in, in the beauty of how you raise your child and how nurturing you are. And you can take care of a home probably and build a beautiful, you know, home, turning a house into a home better than a guy. You know, I fluff my pillows and people joke, Jewel, I'm telling you, people joke. I'm not somebody who loves diamonds. Get me like a brand new top state of the art vacuum cleaner. And I'm so happy. I love to, I love a clean house, you know, but it's okay. It's like, you know, there's this refusal to embrace these differences. And I'm incredibly grateful for men on the front lines. I call life a battle, right? On the front Mm -hmm. lines in life that are making sure that they're taking the women and children are taken care of in their lives, that their families are taken care of, that that work ethic, that it it kind of like fuels you guys in a very interesting way, which is hard for us to relate to sometimes because, man, I'm listening to you and I need a nap. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'd love to talk to that. And the, the one thing that brothers can't give each other is that feminine care that because mm-hmm. men like us will just work till we die. So it's very right. useful to have a good, grounded, feminine woman who says, hang on. I think you should let's go for a walk and enjoy the sunset or hey you're not eating enough or hey come on yes. like that that feminine care that ability to sort of bring water to the fire it's essential as a high performing man you need it or we'll just die from overwork so and that's where that that cohesive relationship between traditional man and traditional woman where the man is all about conquest and struggle and challenge and the woman is about nurturing and caring and slowing him down and making that home a sanctuary from the combat of the world outside that is what relationships are. Why are we pretending it's a bad thing? Show me a relationship where we have this modernity, equality, and the man and woman are both competing to basically be more, you know, who can be the most masculine. Show me a couple like that who are genuinely content. I haven't seen it. Genuinely, I haven't seen it. I don't know why everyone wants to shame traditional values. They are what's practiced by the people who I see most fulfilled in relationships and hence most fulfilled in life mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, well, I think women have been brainwashed to feel that, again, that's a sign of weakness for them. Because if we're not competing with a man or we're not acting like a man or, oh, it's a man's world, so you got to act like a man. If if we don't follow that path, somehow we're going to be less than or we're going to be oppressed or we're going to be unhappy. When in reality, I find that women who really embrace their femininity and women who are proud of that femininity and embrace the things that we do really well above and beyond, there's a lot of things we do better than men do in the same way that there's a lot of things men do better than we do. But when you embrace those differences, that's what really enables a healthy union. And when you have a healthy union, then you have a healthy community, a healthy society, a healthy country 
it really just bleeds out. Um, and that's not what's happening right now. You have divorce rates, you know, in this country, at least looking horrible. You have men and women increasingly less attracted to each other, increasingly, you know, you have high levels of, you know, female promiscuity is being, you know, viewed as empowering. You have a lot of really unhappy guys that have lost their way. So I always say if feminism was so great for women, why are so many women miserable? What is, tell me, explain it to me, what's going on? And I think it's just that they've, they've just lost connection to their biology. And it's really just for me, as simple as that. I want to ask you, I want to get to the tenets of Tate because some of these are incredibly powerful, incredibly important. I'm going to read some of them. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to comment on a few, but he has 41 and I, I started circling and I was like, wow, I could just circle every one because I think they're so incredibly important. But I zeroed in on some. Number one, I believe that men have the divine imperative to become as capable, powerful, and competent as possible in this life. His number three, I prefer loving, rewarding, consensual relationships with beautiful, positive, and virtuous women. Number four, I believe men and women are different and that each has their own unique and important strengths and abilities. He says, number nine, I utterly disapprove of violence within romantic or familiar relationships. Number 12, I believe that a man has the sacred duty to hold true to his word and do exactly what he says he will do. I'm going to go on to this next match. But when you hear those, first of all, you know this guy. Does he live? Is this is this the Andrew Tate? Is this mm-hmm. how he lives behind the scenes? One. And two, I'm struggling to see what is so controversial here. Am I missing it? I just, I don't see what media wants me to see. Mm-hmm. 100%. I can say with 100% conviction and clarity on my honor as a man, on on, on the souls of my, my you know, forefathers, that is the real Tate. He lives by those things to the letter. It, that, that is the real Tate. So all of these experts and journalists who haven't spent a single minute around him, how dare you judge this man? Have a look at the tenets of Tate. That's what he's about. That's what he lives by. And anyone who's actually been around him knows that. And you'll notice also there's a lot of use of the word, you know, the sacred duty. Mm-hmm. This was written before he converted to Islam. He's always been very cognizant of the fact that there is a higher power and it is something that we are accountable to. And so we have to live a certain way. The tenets of Tate, for anyone who wants to see them, cobratate.com forward slash wisdom, and then you can go and click on the tenets of Tate. That is who he is. That is what he stands for. And to your point, it's incredibly needed in today's society. It's actually what would fix so many different issues uh, within especially the West, where we see these broken families, where we see these unhappy, unfulfilled men, where we see these women saying, where have all the good men gone? If everyone had a look at that tenets of Tate and tried to live true to them in the same way Tate does, Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues of society would be fixed. His message is so positive. And yes, that is 100% the real Tate right there, 100%. And let's read a few more of these um, for the audience who maybe hasn't seen these. These are the ones that stuck out to me. Number 14, I believe men are personally responsible for their actions and for the results they achieve in their lives. That's something I talk about all the time, personal responsibility. Um, Number 20, I believe each man has a sacred duty to mold his physical body into the strongest, most resilient, and most capable version of itself possible. Number 23, I reserve the right to protect the sanctity of my bloodstream and make my own decisions about my medical care and procedures. I love that one personally as somebody who rallied against the mandates of the last two years and really believes that people should have their own freedom when it comes to their own you know, decision-making as it relates to their health. Number 25, I believe in acquiring wealth and abundance in order to improve my life and do good for those I care about. This is interesting to me, this one. Um, because oftentimes people will say, people who don't notate, 
And people who don't understand any of you guys actually will say, oh, they're, they're purely materialistic, right? The judgment is all they care about is fancy cars and all they care about is money. And they just, I had a conversation, Destiny was here a few weeks ago. All oh, these guys, just all they prioritize is money. And I said, Destiny, money is freedom. Money is uh -huh. your ability to choose and live the life you want. Money is you saying, I don't want to put my kid in this school because it's an indoctrination camp. I'm going to pick my kid out. I'm either going to homeschool or I'm going to do something that's more expensive over here that has a little bit more of the care that I believe is important because I can, because I have that financial freedom. And to me, I never saw it as a message of, you know, follow my path. Oh, get the fancy car. I saw it as like, hey, this is what success looks like for me. This is the life I'm building myself. I want you to build what success looks like for you, but I want you to have the financial empowerment and freedom to not be, um, you know, have to cater to the state, to not be, you know, oh, there's a mandate, so I guess you lose your job or you comply, to not have to live in that tyranny. That's how I saw mm -hmm. it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'd love to speak to that. So first of all, people who want to say that Tate's just materialistic, that's just cope. They're not putting in the work that he is. Uh, and also, also, the thing about Tate and I, take away all this material stuff, we'll be fine because we know we can build it again. We've got brothers around us. Tate and I have you know, what we call the move to the beach plan. If we lose everything, <laughs> we'll move to the beach and we'll, we'll start some fishing business. We'll be fine. We, we, we are not attached to any of this. And I'd like to tell a story I've never told on camera before, just to prove how much Tate doesn't care about money. So we were in... Uh, we were driving, I was in my, my Ferrari, in, I think we were backcountry Montenegro. He was in the Bugatti, Bugatti got a flat tire. We pulled into a small garage and he had to lift up the Bugatti in order to take the tire off. And it was a very, you know, very sort of third worldish type, almost exaggerated how bad it was garage. And one of the guys who was there, Kevin, good friend of mine, he, he's very technical and he said, hey man, this is a carbon tub. If you raise this Bugatti, a 5 million euro bit of kit, in the wrong way, if you put the, the, you know, the wrench in the wrong area, you'll crack the carbon tub, that car will be a write-off. Tate said, I don't care, do it. I'm like, Andrew, bro, this is a 5 million euro car. Can we please at least Google you know, or try to figure out, he's like, just do it, I don't care. Tate doesn't care about money at all. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about material things at all. He enjoys building and, and flexing and having fun and showing what's possible. He showed me what's possible. I started putting in the extra work. I got brothers around me and I've built you know, a reality that's abundant as well. Uh, he cares about money and that it's his ability to look after his people, but being attached to material stuff, he genuinely doesn't care about a 5 million euro Bugatti. How are you going to call mm -hmm. him attached to material things? He's, he loves the lifestyle and the living because, again, he came from very humble means. Right. He's new money in the same way I'm new money. And guess what? I'm proud of the fact I'm new money. No one gave me any favors. I built what I did. He built what That's he right. did. If we want to go and enjoy our lives and do what we love, which is you know smashing cars around the world and going on adventures with the brothers and documenting it to show other young men what's possible – Tate doesn't only just do that. He he has a platform called The Real World, if you're, if you're aware of it, mm -hmm. in which I think there's over 100,000 recurring members who are learning the art of the side hustle. If you walk around with Tate, and I, I invite you to do it one day, watch how many young men and young women come up and say, hey, you know, Hustlers University, or The Real World has changed my life. I've, I've managed it. to, you know, retire my mom. I've, I've just bought my first car. I, I'm now making a supplementary income, so I'm able to look after my family. People come up constantly giving positive feedback about not only has he inspired them and shown them what's possible through his flexing, he's also given them a mechanism, the real world, through which for, they can learn to generate side incomes. And if they put the work in, they can make a good amount of money themselves. It's yep. so positive. And again, to your point, if he was, you know, a champion of the left, if he, if he did identify as a lamppost oh, yeah. or whatever... <laughs> 
then the world would love him. He's a mixed race kid who's empowering 100,000 plus people around the world to generate a side income and, and work towards being able to provide for their family. That's an overwhelmingly positive thing. Mm. But because he doesn't fit with the narrative, all of a sudden he and all of the products that he's associated with must be bad. It's, yeah. it's quite laughable. Really. Yeah, that's how the media is, right? They put you on the red carpet if you're saying the right talking points. And if you're saying the wrong ones, they try to censor you and silence you. I mean, the reality is that everyone likes money. We just spent, we like, we like different things, right? Like, so I'm not into cars and I'm not into fancy clothes, but my entire freezer is stacked with very expensive farm raised meat. That is my baby. Oh, like okay. I That's love, wealth. That's wealth. <laughs> yes. I love it. Like when, when my eggs are stacked from the farm, that's how I enjoy success. That's what I care about, you know, and everybody cares about something different. I'm not here to tell you what to care about. You're not here to tell me what to care about. But the point is to have that financial freedom to be able to build mm. a safe, and secure life for yourself, for your family. And my husband makes sure that that's possible every single day, which is something that I'm incredibly grateful and thankful for. The reality is that all of the women that can't stand you guys or think they can't stand you guys, if they in quiet had to go into a room and say, all right, make a list of, let's say tragedy strikes or let's say tragedy did strike, right? And they had to go into a room and say, make a list of five guys. They're going to be on this island with you and they're going to make sure that you get what you need. You, you'd see that list. It would be like you, Tate. I mean, I know the list I'd have, my husband, then I'd give you a call. i give Andrew Tate a call. I think I would take Luke and Nate Belmar out there because they're really good about that. I mean, I know who I'm calling for this, right? And it's not going to be some liberal, feminized, you know, twice vaxxed, three times boosted, feminist rock t-shirt, pink nails guy. It's just not because I know my odds in that situation are not going to be good. So they know. They know exactly what's going on here. They just don't like to admit it. I want to ask it doesn't have to be a crisis situation either. It can just be day-to-day reality. Again, if you're with – imagine you're the, the woman of one of these liberal men, as you described, with the, the, the very effeminate way of viewing. You're not going to feel on a deep level fulfilled. You're not going to have powerful intimacy. I mean, yes. Fifty Shades of Grey is the most popular book of all time for a reason. The man is masculine and, and the intimacy is aggressive. That, that is what, if we're going to be honest – I think it's fair to say women are looking for a strong provider and protector since when, so you don't need, you know, an earthquake or some kind of civil unrest to need a masculine man just in a day to day reality. I believe that women, if they are sound of mind, want someone who can provide for them, protect them, provide for their family, any medical bills are right covered any experiences you want around the world. All right, let's go do it. Who doesn't want a partner who's going to look after them and care for them like that? The liberal blue haired brigade, they can't even take care of themselves, let alone take care of a woman. So I don't think you need an emergency situation to see that you need powerful men. Jill, the reason I bring up the emergency situation is because the reality is so many of these women are so brainwashed that what they're doing is they'd rather make the bad choices regurgitate the talking point and be miserable because they are living a, a relatively privileged life. It's not until that crisis strikes that 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 really what takes over is their sanity and something clicks oftentimes. The okay. level of deep brainwashing that's happening among women, I mean, it's, it's remarkable to see because they will get themselves into situations with men. I mean, I know a lot of women that function as heads of household. They are the primary breadwinners. They're in deeply, deeply unhappy marriages because they feel like they, they have created a paradigm where they don't lean on their men. Their men lean on them. And they're unhappy. And they're always looking (laughs) toward, you know who they look toward? That strong masculine guy out here who's, you know, running his house. And that that, they're always got that side vision going on because what's going on in their house doesn't make them feel safe or secure 
or happy. So, but they can't break away from the feminist talking point, which is, you know, you got to do, you got to, you got to compete with a man. So sometimes it takes that pandemic. I say that in mm. quotes, but that's something that shakes you. And, and for me, let me say the last couple of years in, in this country were so awakening for me because I looked around and I was like, where are all the guys? Where are all the men? Like, where have all the cowboys gone? When I would see these strong, tall, sometimes, or muscular, you know, my husband's like a stocky guy. When I would see these guys go to the grocery store, double and triple masked, these guys that were terrified of their own shadow, these guys that were, you know, sticking masks on their children to go to school, I was horrified because I said, if those are the guys that are supposed to be on the front lines, we forget it, right? Forget it. Because if they're having an emotional breakdown, I can't even imagine what all the women are doing. So for, what, what, what happens? It was a very scary, scary thing for a female to see because we rely on those strong guys. You know, those of us who have our sanity intact know that we need you guys out there. We need you to not be afraid and not have an emotional breakdown when I'm having one. Let me have mine. I know. It's, I'm emotional. I'm a woman. It is what it is. <laughs> so, to you for having the self awareness to choose your own belief systems instead of just being a sheep who, who does what the TV tells her. I think it's a very yeah. rare quality in today's world, and I, I deeply respect it. So well, Jill, I lost can. a couple of jobs doing yeah. that. I'll just tell you that <laughs> I lost a couple of media yeah. jobs doing that. <laughs> but thank you. Sure. I want to ask you okay. about the West. I know you wanted to talk about it's the last topic of the day, but I wanted to. You're in Dubai. Um, the West is in massive cultural decay. If you can speak a little bit to the differences between what is life like in Dubai? Why should people consider, especially people who really do love America and feel so strongly about, you know, what this country was founded on? They have a hard time thinking that they could relocate to another place. What is the draw in Dubai? Why should people consider it? I mean, I think on a surface level, the age old principle of go to where you're treated best. Um, now, on a deeper level, I think, what is freedom? We all want freedom. If, if you were living in the West and it's a democracy and it's free, but the elections are arguably rigged, uh, you don't have any personal sort of freedom as to what you can or can't say and you get cancelled. Uh, in, in places like London, you can't even walk down the street with a nice watch on without some, someone coming at you with a hammer. Is that really freedom? You can't, you can't even send your kids to school without being concerned they're going to get programmed with all sorts of degenerate nonsense. Uh, is that really freedom? Whereas you come over here... Um, this is, it's in the UAE, it's not a democracy, but wow, it's the safest, happiest, freest place I've ever seen. Respect the government, respect the rule of law, respect the religion, and you literally have a utopia with which to raise your family. There's no weird um, alphabet agendas being pushed down the throats of the kids in the school here. You know, there's, there's no street crime, you know, it's, it's an incredibly safe place. Uh, there's no overarching government trying to tell you that you, you should or shouldn't live a certain way or say a certain uh, you know, there's there's no push to essentially be a, to sign up to the religion of wokeism. For me, Dubai and countries that are traditional in their values and where the leaders, you know, have a, a relationship with God. You know, godless societies are always going to be rocky places. Humans are pretty. One thing I've learned from from years of, of you know working in some of the world's most dangerous places, humans are pretty evil creatures as a general rule. If we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't feel accountable to a higher force, mm -hmm. we're going to do bad things. We're going to be selfish. We're going to, if we're you know politicians, we're going to grasp power at the expense of our constituents. Whereas when you come to countries where the leaders do have a, a relationship with God, you know the, the the laws are tied into religion, as, as we see in, in in many countries in the Middle East, that, that of Sharia law. It's almost like a, a guarantee that, you know, when, when it's executed effectively, you, you're going to have leaders who are just and who are, and Dubai is the perfect example. The leadership here, 
they can walk down the street. They don't, they don't need, you know, big security guards around them. Security's there, of course, you just don't see it. They, they, they are actually genuinely caring for their people, as opposed to in the West, where I don't think you could say the politicians really care about their people. No. <laughs> is, that really, is that really the first world where it's dangerous? Your kids are getting programmed with weird stuff and, and you are getting told that you must basically subscribe to a certain ideology or you're a bad person. Uh, whereas over here, in, in what many people would have thought of as a less developed place, than the West, you have safety, you have freedom of thought, you know, as long as you don't criticize the government or religion, that's fine. I think people should have some constraints on them. And you have an environment where you can raise a family without being concerned that that, that wokeism, that mind virus is being pushed on the kids. So I give massive respect to the leaders of this country. I think UAE is the best country in the world to live. Uh, and inshallah, I'll be here for the rest of my life because it's, and you ask, you know, the people who move over here, it's a genuine utopia with which to safely raise a family and live a life where no one's trying to mess with you. No, no one's trying to push ideologies on you and you're safe. We have incredible safety here. So to everyone who's attached to, to living in the West, all right, sure, be patriotic. I mean, look, I, I serve my country. I, I deployed numerous times for, for my country. I, I have a great love for Australia. However, a man like me is much better suited in a country like the UAE than I would be back in Australia because I don't subscribe to the religion of wokeism. I'm not going to accept... Like in Melbourne, they had nine months, nine months of being locked in their houses. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely ridiculous nonsense like this. I think mm-hmm. communism is a bad thing, and I think the West is headed in that direction. So to anyone who really wants to do the right thing for their family, as Andrew Tate has been saying for a long time, you really want to take a good look at getting out of the West. Mm-hmm. The, the cultural decline, to your point, is clear. Even five years ago when I first met the Tates, they were constantly talking about the West being a failed society. And look what's happened. Thankfully, the UAE and, and some other countries around the world are, are standing up against that cultural decline and then doing so very effectively. Yeah, I mean, and even for, for people listening who maybe, you know, don't like some of the rules in the UAE, that's fine. Um, but it ha- it is an interesting parallel because you look in countries, and I'll use, you know, the United States as an example, there's been, over the years, more and more of a desire to remove God from every institution. This country wasn't founded without God. You know, there were Judeo-Christian values that were woven into the founding of the United States, and that was a, a deep part of what made this country so amazing. But with all of this wokeness, you've had that constantly tr- be trying to rip rip it away, rip it away, rip it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, has led to a lot of the problems that you've seen emerge. Just It's a lost society in many respects. So it's mm-hmm. been interesting to watch other cultures take a very different approach and and I argue all the time that this is a country in in cultural decay. And when people say don't talk about cultural issues, I always say, well, that's where everything that's rotten stems from. A rotten culture bleeds out into rotten economics and a rotten political system. If the culture is rot, it's all rot. Is this the bottom line? Yeah. So I want to ask well, you so- final question, um, just final thoughts. I don't know what Andrew Tate's going to do next. I have no idea what his next move is going to be. Do you have any insight into that? Or if you don't have any insight from Tate himself, What's your guess? Do you think he had alluded to writing a book? My advice to him that he can take or leave. I'd said, do not give that to a publishing house. Self-publish that. Do it yourself because they're all going to be hungry for that dollar. And I wouldn't give him a dime, to be honest. Um, And he doesn't need it, frankly. But do you think he'll write a book? Do you think he'll go back on Rumble and people will hear him in the traditional format they're used to? What do you think's coming from Andrew? Yeah, cool. So he and I have actually discussed this directly. And again, I, I don't pretend to, to be an official representative of Tate or the Tate brand, but I do know him quite well. And what I can say with conviction is Tate's very clear now, crystal clear about his glo- global influence, uh, the extent of that. And at, by extension, his duty to, to use that influence and that reach that he has to, to bring about a positive impact on the world. He says it all the time. He's very clear on that. So when the time is right, he will go loud again. 
but that's his call to make, right? It's no one that's else. Right. Uh, I, I believe, and, and Tate does too, that he has quite a significant role to play in the path that humanity takes. It's that important. He is speaking directly against shaitan, if you will. <laughs> uh, do we descend into like lazy degeneracy and modernity and, and chasing hedonism and using drugs and you know, you know, godless failed society, that decrepit culture that you talked about? Yeah. Or do we live disciplined, productive lives with a strong relationship with with faith, with you know, with our our society, uh, do we provide? Do we protect for for our families? There's two very different courses through which you know that humanity can go down. And Tate knows he has an important role in influencing that that path. And so, all those people are like, "Hey, we want Tate to speak and go loud." He's faced with a very complex chess game. I mean, if if he looks at all the different factors and all the different risks involved, so I think more than most people understand. There are many different factors involved, and, and Tate's going to make the best move on the board to answer your question what he's going to do. Uh, he has an incredible intellect. He, he's very, as we know, stress resilient. Uh, very, He has that iron mind. So anyone who's a, a true supporter of Tate will understand he is assessing the chessboard right now. He will make the best moves, and they will turn out to be the right ones. He will be freed, whether that's through a trial that then finds him innocent because facts are the facts, the truth is the truth, or he'll be released without charge. He's not going to make any noise against the individuals or, or the entities who locked him up. These things happen. He's at peace with that. His main focus is clearing his name and getting out there and contributing that positive message. So he will be, uh, I think, a lot uh, wiser. You won't see that that old uh, character that he used as much, but you'll see a very powerful voice for traditional values, for protecting, providing, taking care of your family, contributing to society, being accountable as a man. The Tate that comes out will be when he does decide to go loud will be an even more powerful voice for positivity in the world as per the tenants of Tate, as per the, the warum community that he's built an incredibly positive group of men that we have. Um, and by the way, anyone who wants information on that, you can write to me on Instagram. I, I will endeavor to respond. <laughs> I'm a bit time poor, but I'll try <laughs> to get it. Uh, so Tate, not only has he built these, these principles, he lives by them. He's aware of his influence that he has. He's built a community of, of men in, in the war room who also live by these principles and support each other to be the best version of man that we can be in all, all areas of life. He is actively doing everything he can to use his platform, to use his intellect, to use his insights to improve humanity. That's what he's here for. That's what he's, he wants his legacy to be. So that that is his next move when the time is right. Whatever will most amplify his positive impact on, on humanity. Mm -hmm. That's 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 all he's here for at the moment. He's still going to enjoy living the good life. Uh, yeah. But he's so crystal clear about what his purpose is on this earth. It, it's he's, he's really, really, really fired up about using his, imp his impact, his influence in, in the most beneficial way that he can for, for all of humanity. That's... And he says it all the time. He's really clear on that. Well, Joel, you, you let him know that if he figures out a way how to how to bottle that calm he has, you know, and in just a little capsule, I could take it alongside my nat of him in the morning. It would be very helpful to people like me. I'm teasing, of course. I know there's a lot like more it. that We've goes into circle, it. Back to the yes, like exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank you, Joel, for being here. I I knew it would be a great discussion. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. Um, if you if people are want to find you, uh, where where do they go? What's the best way to reach you, to contact you, plug whatever you'd like to plug in, in this moment? Okay, so look, I, I'm not a clout person. I, I don't see benefits of being well known. Um, however, I do feel that by being around the Tates, I'm able to amplify their message and their positive uh, impact in the world. And that's what I'm doing. That's why we're talking. That's why I have gone loud. So I am on Instagram. I am on YouTube. Uh, I will try and reply to everyone who's interested in the war room and, and with, with questions because I passionately believe in it. It's incredibly positive. And the way Vice tried to 
slag us as somehow a negative group. It's it's the most supportive community of men driven to be the best versions of ourselves and, and look after our families that you ever find. Uh, and to, to somehow try and say that that's a bad thing is ridiculous. So I'm, I'm here to promote the war, you know, the, the organization that yep. he built as well. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram. And again, I'll try to respond to as many DMs as I can. I don't want clout. I don't necessarily want to be recognized, but I do feel duty bound to help extend Tate's reach in, in the little way that I can and put that, that positive message out there. So the Instagram, I've got, I've got a YouTube channel as per a week ago as well. You know, all these, these kids with their technology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm to get up to speed on all these things. And we'll be but linking yeah, that, that's, those. That's where you can find me. We will link those in the description as well. Yeah. That vice guy, what a, what a, what a clown, what a rat that guy was. I covered it here is all I'm going to say. You don't even have to comment. That guy was a snake, but um, thank you for being here. Please send my regards to the Tate brothers. And um, I look forward to seeing what they do next. Everyone at home, hit that subscribe button and hit that like button. If you like what you saw here today, there's going to be a lot more coming your way. Joel, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Those, you don't, those of you who don't know that sartorial shooter that I've been talking to, I know he's got a lot of names. What can I say? Thank you for being here. I loved it. Thank you, Jordan. I love your work. Talk Thanks soon. a lot. Appreciate the opportunity. Cheers. See you soon, audience.